passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock, and I'm here. And this is the UFC 249 Post Show. How are you, Phil? Uh, I'm, I'm great. You know, what's amazing is I actually forgot to start recording on my end the way that we normally record, but I'm going now. So <laughs> everything's uh, just as normal. Well, that's why I'm here recording both sides. So that's why uh, I've got you here, Phil. This is, this is, this is round six and seven for me, John. Wow. <laughs> you have been just going to town all night on the discord since what, what time? Seven o'clock? We uh, well we no we went live at six thirty because oh, we man. and we said hey well you know we're just hanging out listening to tunes and so we just put it on around six thirty uh, there was a lot of video packages and um, yeah but uh, no problem had fun the whole time and here we are ready for a post show and uh, I think everybody's uh, ex- excited. Well, let's not waste any time. There's actually quite a lot to go through. It's very a very newsworthy show. And I mean, this really goes back 24 hours ago because we did lose a fight off of UFC 249 with Ronaldo Jacare Souza and two of his cornermen uh, testing positive for the coronavirus. So the fight with Uriah Hall is off. And the UFC did put out a statement uh, indicating that Souza had informed them on Wednesday when he arrived there from Orlando to Jacksonville that there was a family member that did have the coronavirus and they had instructed him to uh, isolate and they did not pull him from the card at that point on Wednesday. They, I guess, you know, felt that there was a reasonable chance he would not have it. He did. And I guess it's brought about a lot of questions about what were those 48 hours of contact like for Jacare in that hotel. And, you know, it's, were you surprised at all when the news came out, Phil, that the card did proceed uh, forward because it looked like the UFC, that wasn't even an option that they were going to call this thing. It actually was not surprising to me that the, the card continued. And the reason why that I, I felt that way is because the, the whole premise of this event occurring is based on the idea of being able to control this disease or whatever through the testing and health and safety procedures. And 
the last time we spoke in March, really, after a pay-per-view, you asked me, is like, oh, what's what's the chance of the, an event, the UFC event happening, uh, Habib in Brooklyn? Uh, Dana White is adamant that it's going to happen. I was like, I'm not really listening to Dana White. I, I'm looking for guidance from my officials about what's going to happen and not. And I live in Ontario, so I don't have this problem. But in Florida, the officials have decided that this is an acceptable event to occur. And they have decided the guidelines under which it should occur. And I would think, I would hope that under those types of guidelines, there would be a proper protocol to handle this situation. And and had they canceled the event, that would have been more a sign to me that they have no clue what they're doing. And, well, it, it, and it let, also, let me just let me just yeah. let me just finish finish that what that was one point. That doesn't mean I'm saying they know what they're doing. I'm just saying had they canceled it, it would certainly look like they don't know what they're doing. Well, I'll say that had they if they had to shut down this show. It would mean that they would have concern of not just the fighters on this card potentially coming into any contact, but all of the personnel and staff. And that, to me, it would be an admission that we cannot run these cards that are coming up over the next week. Now, I see the story going one of two ways. There is no further uh, positive tests from people attached to this event, and they go on with Wednesday and next Saturday, and it's much like the WWE case where there was there was one – unknown person that was that did test positive that it didn't it was said that it was did not affect anyone else and people just kind of moved on from it and it wasn't a huge deal in the grand scheme of things the other direction is that a week from now we're talking about several people attached to this event that end up uh with the coronavirus and then it's a way bigger issue i'm they kind of had the fact that this did break late on a friday night and kind of outside of where, where the news cycle was going to really – like if this had happened midweek, this would have been a giant story uh, during the week. And I I wonder if by Monday um, it's, it's going to be looked upon that here's the UFC that uh, one of the few sporting events that ran over the weekend and they had a fighter that did test positive. I mean that's a very easy story to go to and certainly there's going to be people that are going to be putting the UFC under under the microscope. Uh, coming out of this event and seeing what the what kind of fallout there is with these fighters and people that were part of the show. Yeah, I, I don't know how much I specifically agree on the level of blowback there might be in the media. It just it like no doubt there is going to be some thing to talk about, but it seemed to get buried pretty quick on Saturday. Like I went to ESPN on Saturday morning. I was going to bed on Sunday night. I see the, the headline. It's like, it's, you know, full page coverage on ESPN. I'm like, oh God, okay. And this is like past my bedtime. So I'm just like, I'm going to bed. I wake up. It's like buried, like one or two stories deep. It's like UFC 249, Ferguson versus Gaethje. So ESPN clearly moved on and, you know, you're right that in a couple of days, Monday is a long way away. So I don't see the New York Times reporting on this too much. Let, let's just remember, Phil, though, that like this is not that different than Rudy Gobert and that shut down the NBA. Like think of, think of that. Oh, that. no, 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 no. It is, it is extremely different. I, I, I have to, I have to. Okay. Please explain it. how it's that much different. 
It is that much different because that was two months ago when this was a drastic unknown. There was no preparation whatsoever. We've had two months of not only isolation, but a a ton of data, a ton of information on social distancing and what to do. And I'm not saying that that we have all the answers or any answers. I certainly don't. And I'm not the person to say that uh, we have those answers. But at some point, you have to start things moving. And there has to be a protocol and a manner to do that. And again, I'm not saying this is it. But clearly, there were attempts at that. And uh, so in that regard, I think it's drastically different. Well, I hope you're right. And I hope a week from now, we're not looking and this is a an incident that is limited to Jacques Array and his two cornermen. Uh, because when you see like the videos that surfaced of Jacques Array hanging out with other fighters this week, um, it's concerning. And I'm hoping that it's, it's not a case where we're going to, you know, several days from now, there are going to be people that are start to develop symptoms. I think that they're there was great risk taken here. Um, we'll, we'll see what the extent is. I'm not saying that you just completely um, dismiss the notion of trying to run things at this time. And I don't even disqualify that the UFC went to great lengths in order. Like we saw it on the broadcast tonight. Like there were certainly a lot of um, safety precautions in place. I would never call the UFC completely reckless. But at the same time, uh, this was – you cannot – say that this event was risk-free like that's oh, impossible, oh, uh, it's impossible. You know, I, I, i'm not saying it's risk-free at all i i don't even know but it's all i'm saying is you you were comparing it to an event where, about something we had no idea what we we're talking about arenas full of people teams team sports as well so so i i just don't feel that that is a proper comparison but what and, i'm saying and, though is that one person tested positive and they stopped games. It wasn't even, we're going to continue with empty arena games with the existing players. That Again, are- because it was so unknown, there was absolutely no history of what was going on. And there was no attempt at any idea of precaution. Nobody thought that there was even a possibility of something continuing. Nobody conceived of the idea of, of, of this, like hit everybody like a brick in the face. This is an attempt to look at what happened when that brick in the face hit us and rebuild from that. I'm not saying it's a successful attempt, but it's an attempt. And along the way, these attempts will certainly fail. They may stumble. It would be horrible if, if um, the, more people tested positive and the, and there was further re, uh, repercussions that would be tragic. But if uh, let's say nobody else contracts COVID and they are able to put on two successful events, then that that's also a positive sign. Like I, I think I, I've got to say this. This is a maybe this is just a broad political opinion, but uh, at this point, but I feel like people almost want this to be as bad as possible because the the steps that we've taken in our society are so great that the only way to justify them is if this disease is the most horrific thing ever. And and it's, it's it, not it's, Phil, but it's you're look like to me Wednesday. This guy shows up. And says a family member of mine has the virus, not may have the virus, may have con- came into contact with someone, has the virus. How do you at that point not think, is that not the time that you consider 
does this person need to be on this card? What risk are we opening ourselves up to? And I would argue that, okay, we go to March, mid-March, where we didn't know all this. We have now all this information that I think that should be uh, more of an argument in favor of stopping this on Wednesday, as opposed to two days of, again, I would like a detailed look at what how much interaction did he have in those two days? And what we can see is that it's not like this guy was locked in a room by himself for two days. Well, you can't really lock anybody in a room by themselves for two days. It's really up to a person to control their own behavior, as we've learned through all the social distancing. And I'll repeat, I never said that this was a successful attempt at this. I'm simply saying that this is not the same scenario. It was two months ago when the NBA shut down because of a complete sensation of unknown fear over something we didn't understand. This is, and I'm not saying we understand it completely now by any stretch, but we have a better understanding. At some point we have to move forward. This is an attempt to move forward. They're attempting safety precautions. They will certainly fail in some things. There are definitely criticisms about uh, how they handled the Jacare situation. Maybe even they shouldn't have continued with the event. There, there's That is certainly worthy of debate. But I, I don't think that it is helpful to simply uh, dismiss, just say, oh, somebody tested positive. We have, to, we have to cancel the event because of that. Like people will test positive in all sorts of places going forward. And all types of businesses are going to need to learn how to deal with positive tests among people at their offices, at stores, hopefully restaurants, gyms, other types of facilities. Um, I do want to move on uh, because yes. we have other things to talk about. I know that you... Uh, oh, do we? Yeah. I, be, that before was, that, we start- I was really happy to talk about that. That, that made my day. Thanks. Well, th- this is kind of a sidebar issue because this was a, a big story tonight that, that came out from several outlets. Uh, Yahoo was covering this, the New York Times, ESPN, that... Uh, fighters that are competing on this card, um, and this also, according to Mark Ramondi, included media, had to sign um, sign this document that uh, – I'm just watching Phil's uh, wardrobe changes here – that they had to sign a liability waiver that includes – this is from Mark Ramondi's report. The waiver includes the assumption of risk for participants if they test positive for coronavirus and releases the UFC from any responsibility. The waiver also has a non-disparagement clause that states that the UFC may revoke all or any part of any prize monies or awards won by a fighter on the card if they defame or disparage the promotion for its safety precautions or otherwise. The clause extends the possible punitive action to fighters, affiliates, agents, and representatives. And this um, was an interesting uh, story that emerges here. Uh, Dana White did speak to Yahoo saying it's a non-disparagement clause in terms of you can't lie about what you're going through, but you know, from those that have seen the contract, um, the New York Times had stated like there was nothing in there that says it's about lying. It's about, um, you know, essentially they don't want anyone to be um, critical of the testing that's going on. And I found it especially interesting that media was asked to sign this as well that are essentially there to be, um, you know, document what it, what is happening and, and be transparent. And they're trying to, you know, if you have to sign a waiver, I can say I personally would have a big problem with that signing that, um, fighters as well. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, ultimately I assume they all sign this, but it's, um, 
something different here. Yeah, I mean, uh, for uh, so there's two portions of that regarding the personal liability waiver uh, regards to. Um, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, I, and and I don't think anybody should be, and and really, if we talk about personal fighter health, that I think that's less of a concern about this whole event than, you know, we're, we're social distancing and staying inside to protect the healthcare system, not because individuals ha- individuals make poor choices about their health all the time. So, so. Um, that, that's not, uh, I don't think that's such, such a big issue. Like but there's a, uh, there's a huge, uh, there's a risk here obviously involved and the, and the UFC is going to, um, cover themselves wherever possible. Now I have no idea. Can, can that hold up if like, if there were a rash of guys that got the virus here, does, you know, signing a waiver, um, th- does that cover the UFC? Well, this, that, that would be for this brings me, this brings me back to people's beef with these events, right? It's like, I think you have to look at Florida, look at the go- look at the governor, look at the mayor of Jacksonville. Absolutely, right. The, like, the commission, the, like there is a commission overseeing this event. This is not the UFC running rogue and doing this um, in Lamore, California, or going yes, and just yes, they, yes, they, yes. They they have commission oversight. Yeah. So, like, like for example, in Ontario here, the open hardware store is up today. Nobody's criticizing Home Depot for opening today. Um, and now that doesn't mean that there aren't criticisms for the UFC. Don't, 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 again, don't get it twisted when I make these sort of devil's argue, uh, you know, devil's advocate arguments here. But uh, uh, if it's all about the safety protocols, if the UFC is following the guidelines set out by the government of Florida, and somebody contracts COVID, then what? What's what are they going to do? But if the UFC is not following safety pr- protocols, if they're doing things nefarious things or hiding things or putting people at whatever unnecessary risk, whatever that means, who am I to determine? Then yeah, of course there's a liability there. That of course there is. It, and then you know the non-disparagement. I mean that it, those types of things are actually very common. Um, but, you know, explicitly related to the health and safety, that certainly is going to creep uh, a bunch of people out. I just want to read one, one more portion of this from uh, the ESPN story. Um, so about the, the non-disparagement clause, um, multiple sources told ESPN that the language is atypical of past UFC agreements that fighters and participants sign. Another source with knowledge of UFC contracts said that anti-disparagement clauses are common in legal contracts and they are designed to address cases of defamation unsupported by facts, not just someone's opinion. So I think ultimately what this comes down to is um, certainly no one's going to advocate for um, lying about anything, but it's the idea of, you know, is this document a just simply... Uh, covering you from simply is this closer to an NDA than it is from just saying that you would not uh, disparage the company by lying about anything that's going on? Um, because I think that, you know, trying to limit transparency uh, of people that are talking about factual things that occur, uh, especially the media, like that is the function of the media that is there is to, you know, be provide that transparency of how this event's being run. And this is certainly one where people are very focused on how all of this is being run behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, hopefully there shouldn't be anything that precludes a media member from at least saying 
if they feel like they want to say something that's beyond the scope of the contract, that would at least give us a clue as to what, if, if there is, there's more there. Um, and just because we may not get to this in the, in the show on the, the, actual, Oh, there's a show. Th- there was a show. Yeah. I, I mean, Ryan Spann fought on Saturday night, <laughs> Phil. Okay. Um, George St. Pierre has been announced. He will be going into the UFC hall of fame. Uh, Pretty clear cut uh, pick to has been go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, of course, I mean there's there is no other question. I mean, on many many people's number one atop the all time great list, uh, on everyone's top three list, and uh, all what's, around. What's your favorite George St. Pierre moment? My favorite George St. Pierre moment was the first uh, UFC event in Canada. That was his rematch with uh, Matt Serra. I uh, was I'd started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and I was telling the Discord channel today that George St. Pierre is actually my MMA inspiration for starting Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I uh, imitated his style and uh, I still incorporate a lot of that today. I've even uh, been to a George St. Pierre seminar where I met him, but that isn't my favorite memory was this um, trip I took to Montreal uh, because a bunch of people fell through and I was on a group ticket, uh, I ended up having to go with a guy I'd never met. I met him on the day of the trip at the bus stop. And I, I had no clue. Am I going to enjoy my time with this guy? We had to share a room. We had tickets beside each other. And it turned out this dude was the super coolest dude. We were totally on the same page about what we wanted to do on the weekend, have a good time, see fights, and... And yeah, watch George St. Pierre uh, reclaim his championship in Montreal, Canada, in front of an incredibly exciting crowd in the first ever UFC event in uh, Canada. That would be high up there uh, in terms of his importance. Um, yeah, I, w- I would certainly look at to that fight. Um, the BJ Penn, I would say the second BJ Penn fight, that was just such an enormous fight with the uh, the first primetime series that uh, led up to, to that fight and was... Um, one of the most successful UFC pay-per-views ever uh, up until that point in 2009. Um, I was there for a lot of his fights. Uh, uh, I won't say a lot, um, several of his fights. I, I covered his fight against uh, Carlos Condit and then coming back to fight Nick Diaz. It fought in November and then came back in, in March to fight Nick Diaz. That fight week was one of the craziest because every day there was something more insane going on with Nick Diaz in the lead-up to that fight on uh, that card at UFC 158 in 2013. Um, so I have, I have an anecdote actually about that because my, um, my number one jujitsu training partner over the last, since I've lived at outside of the city is a black belt named James Ann. And he is a uh, friend of the Diaz brothers. He's, he's trained with uh, Nate Diaz. He's lived at stayed at Nate Diaz's house while he's trained there and he was with Nick Diaz during that event. He was hanging out event. He was hanging out in jail. And he was hanging out in jail. And his his he said, he said, he said, you know, notable events that happened there. The first is, the first is, camp saying, saying that George might miss weight and that there was a regulation in Quebec that the champ could actually be a pound over. 
And there was all these rumors that Jan- George wasn't going to make weight. And, you know, Diaz is pissed. He's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm in this foreign country, foreign language, and you're telling me the champ is gonna make weight, isn't going to make weight. And then, of course, he makes weight. But it's like you don't know who's looking at the scale. So this – this created all this controversy. I can't, I can't imagine Nick believing like such a, <laughs> such a theory. This and then, but it gets better because apparently on the day of the fight, Nick goes, I want to take a nap. So he takes a nap and the fight's approaching, approaching, approaching. And everybody's afraid to wake him up because it's Nick Diaz, right? They don't want to bother him. They don't want to wake him up. So he ends up sleeping longer than he intended. And, you know, he doesn't, Typical Diaz, he doesn't get the warm-up that he wants. So this is the first-hand story from somebody who was in the hotel room with uh, Nick Diaz when he fought George St. Pierre. Wow. So At he, least, well, it's second-hand because it was told to me first. Right? So he overslept? He slept too much? He overslept. He overslept, yes. Wow. Yes. Well, that explains it. That explains the performance that night then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, was, he just needed a, three or four more rounds to get into the groove. Moving on to UFC 249 from the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida, which will be home base for the UFC for the next week. They've got cards Wednesday and Saturday. And uh, off the top, I just wanted to talk a bit about the the broadcast. We had John Anik, Joe Rogan, and Daniel Cormier. And you could see they were seated several feet away from each other. They weren't just all grouped together uh, where they were calling the fights. And it made for a a very awkward moment at the beginning of the pay-per-view where they got together to do the open. And Joe Rogan just said, yeah, I don't know why we're separated throughout the whole night, but now we've got to be all close together for this on camera uh, at at the beginning of the pay-per-view. And what what did you think? Because I thought this was, you know, comparing it to all the empty arena wrestling shows I've been watching – I had absolutely zero issue with the empty arena nature of this card. And this was like six hours uh, plus. And it never to me felt um, like the, like obviously you're aware there's no fans, but to me it was, it was not this big detriment that I thought maybe it would be in kind of the middle of the card. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. I, I, I mean, that wasn't a surprise to me. I, I talked about that before. MMA fans are used to seeing empty arenas at the start of events. Um, uh, we don't, we aren't used to seeing main events in that fashion, but it's not a completely foreign idea. And it didn't really change the, 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 the height, the, the drama of these matches. Like the, the same stakes were on the line. The fans didn't seem to really add to this. This, the, the, it seems like fans sort of add to the stakes when it comes to this stuff. Maybe they're not the most pivotal thing, and maybe that's different in wrestling. Uh, not to say that they're the most pivotal thing, but maybe they're more integral. Uh, but I think uh, everybody in the Discord kind of agreed. Uh, but there was a weirdness about the broadcast, as you alluded to. Like, yeah, they opened the broadcast together about two feet apart from each other, like a wider shot than they normally would have. But then, yeah, they're calling it, you know, uh, they're calling it, uh, you know, apart. And then several people are in masks. Some people aren't in masks. And and, and Joe Rogan had a, a, a I thought he had a couple of good points about this throughout the night. And it's like, like, like if we're all tested and we all test negative, why is anybody wearing a mask? And it's like, you know, and, and this goes back, this goes back to the point that we were making earlier about the actual effectiveness of the procedure of their 
whatever health and safety procedures. But like if theoretically, if everybody's tested and everybody in the building doesn't have this, why is anybody wearing a mask? Right. Like it doesn't actually because though, like with the testing, it's that there's so many people that are asymptomatic and that a test, there's lots of false negatives that you're going to have with these tests that just because uh, two days ago you tested negative, it doesn't mean that it's not in your system. And th- they're trying to mitigate that now with the antibody testing. John, John I, under, I completely 100% understand that. And if you listen to what I said, it completely includes that as a qualification. The whole process is an attempt to do the most effective health and safety measures possible. I don't know what the most effective health and safety measures possible. I'm leaving that up to Florida or whatever jurisdiction that is there to decide what those are. And it's the UFC's job to adhere to those. I'm hoping as a fan that that is a type of testing or whatever that ensures that all the participants in the arena are free and clear of the disease. And if that is the case, then from the pure logical standpoint, if you step into a room and no one, everyone tests negative, then you sh- there's no reason to adhere to these social distancing guidelines. Now, your point being that, that we don't know what the quality of the tests are, I hear that, right? So I, again, I'm I'm just sort of talking like I'm trying to f- frame our minds in a way where we're really logically thinking. If I put you in a bubble, and then I put another person in the bubble, and that person 99.9% tests negative for something, I'd be okay with shaking hands with them or whatever. Now, but I I just don't know what the effectiveness, what that 99.9% means. I'm trusting these officials to take care of that for me because I'm not smart enough to understand that. Okay. Let's not go down the rabbit hole of uh, testing, but uh, let's start off with uh, tonight's main event, which was Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight championship. I would say the best performance we've ever seen out of Justin Gaethje. And I thought a very disciplined performance out of, out of Gaethje in this where I expected the first two rounds to be very effective rounds for Gaethje, but the question would be how much uh, of his output would we, would we see in those two rounds that would affect uh, any future rounds of the fight? And I mean, even his corner, Trevor Whitman, I think had that concern after two rounds where he was throwing enormous shots and Tony Ferguson was eating all of them. Uh, it was remarkable to see the amount of damage that Tony Ferguson took in this, but after two rounds, what was your uh, prognosis of what you expected from Justin Gaethje for the rest of this fight? Because that was sort of where I could see this tipping the other way for Ferguson, but it did not. Yeah, that was that was the pivotal moment. And actually, at that when that happened, I, I, there was a debate in the Discord about what was going to what was happening. Some people thought that Gaethje was done; he was tiring, and certainly he looked like he was slowing a little bit at the sec at the end of the second round. But I, I made the point: he's like, yeah, he slowed at the end of the round, but it was a hard round. Like we'll see how he comes out in the third. Um, now, that being said, I was still expecting what we usually see from Tony to come out even more and, and ramp up. So I was thinking that the fight might be swaying, but I wasn't sold. I was really impressed with what I was seeing from Gaethje. I liked the patience he was using. You could tell just from his style, he was employing what he'd been using in his most recent fights, which, although short, demonstrated a high degree of discipline 
that you already illustrated. Yeah. So, I mean, after the second round, we, um, you know, the, the one round that I guess people, um, maybe had a, a I, I had Gaethje winning every round, but the first one, you know, Gaethje had landed all those big shots, but there, there was a big right uppercut from Ferguson at the end of the first round. Was that enough to sway you for Ferguson in the first round or did you have Gaethje winning the first? Well, the uppercut was in the second. Um, sorry. Yeah. That was round two. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a, I, 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 so, you know, I'm, I'm not as focused on the fights as I normally might be because there's other things going on. I did have it. It did sway it for me. It felt like Gaethje did well, but the last minute or so Ferguson was making, uh, improvements before he ultimately landed that uppercut and it was a knockdown. So, um, yeah, I would say I did give him that round. Um, didn't really affect Gaethje. He came back in, in the third and it was more of the power strikes. And then in the fourth, he ended up landing this right hand that wobbled Ferguson. And, you know, the, the commentators were suggesting like this might have been, you know, also a result of all the leg kicks that Gaethje had been piling up as well. Um, this was a round that to me, it was like borderline 10-8. I didn't end up going 10-8 on it, but I could see people going for it. The fifth, this was well on its way to being a 10-8 round. He was annihilating Ferguson and just destroying this guy uh, to the point that Herb Dean finally stepped in to stop it at 339 of the fifth round. Tony Ferguson's first loss in eight years since May of 2012. And Justin Gaethje is your interim lightweight champion, in theory, setting up a fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov. Yeah, and, and, and defeating Tony in a manner that I don't think anybody envisioned. He didn't get out. He outworked Tony. Like Tony was the one who looked, I don't want to say tired, but he was worn by the end of this fight, even before the stoppage. And yeah, Gaethje fought brilliantly. He had uh, all the energy in the world in this fight. And yeah, it definitely sets up that, that Ferguson, uh, that uh, Habib fight. I, I think uh, it was a fight I was uh, calling for quite a while ago. And uh, I really liked this, this fight because, Gaethje does have a re- uh, better wrestling credentials than any of the top contenders in uh, the lightweight division or anyone that you, uh, Habib has fought uh, in the last few years. Yeah, this was uh, the best of Justin Gaethje. Um, I thought that we got to see, you know, th- this is a guy that at times just will get so reckless and it's entertaining to watch, but detrimental for his game plan. But in this one, like we kind of saw you know, hints of that, especially in the second, but it was, you know, he just dialed himself back and he had a, a winning formula. It was very measured. His timing was on point. And Tony Ferguson just, I, I, I just think could not figure this out and was probably thinking that Justin Gaethje would wear himself out with this output. And he didn't, um, it was, it was just a tremendous uh, performance for, for Justin Gaethje and, uh, you know, his next fight, it'll probably be Narmaga Madov unless, you know, something, something wild happens, which always a possibility. But uh, today, are you believing that the next fight for Justin Gaethje will be Narmaga Madov? Well, it's the fight that makes sense. Uh, there's no one else really for Habib. This pretty much puts a nail in the coffin in Habib Tony. Like, it, I, I just don't see how he could ever try to make this fight happen. Um, 
But yeah, I, I mean, I don't, who else is there for Habib unless it's uh, somebody who comes out of retirement, you know? The only other fight I could see happening is that if Nurmagomedov is not ready to go and Conor McGregor, in fact, does want to fight in July, that would be the only other fight I, I could see. And I think Justin Gaethje would have no problem taking that fight. The Yeah, I mean, that could happen. Although uh, Habib apparently mentioned he wants to fight sooner rather than later like he it's like he want he normally he takes a break after ramadan you know to get a full training camp but i think something indicated that he wants to fight as soon as it's possible for him and that's so, a fight gaichi wants i mean it's um that that's a way more intriguing fight after seeing this this pr- particular performance yeah I, I yeah i think uh i think that uh the fans are, are excited about it and look there's a lot of fights that you can do for connor and um yeah, but you know we've got a problem here. Gaethje's an American fighter. Fight Island is for international fights. May twenty third doesn't even have a main event. I mean, June 9th doesn't have a date or a location, and it has an undercard that resembles a funeral. I mean, I don't, I, I like what's going on. So, who, how can we plan the lightweight championship fight with Habib Nurmagomedov? You know what I mean? Yeah, that um, that card for June. So UFC two fifty. Um, they don't have a date, they don't have a location, and they have a grand total of five announced fights. Now, this is not the main card. This is just for the entire card. So we it, they listed Amanda Nunez, Felicia Spencer. Then the rest of the card consists of Alonzo Menafield versus Devin Clark, Gerald Mearshart versus Ian Heinish, Juicier Formiga against Alex Perez, and Charles Bird versus Maki Patolo. That's what they've got so far for UFC 250 next month. Maki Patolo, you don't say. Date, location, and bout order to be announced at a future date. They don't even have, like, when we'll announce all of this, they don't even have that date ready. So look out for UFC 250. Um, Henry Cejudo, Dominic Cruz for the UFC bantamweight title. This was my most anticipated fight on this show. I just thought that this looked... I'm sorry. If people are not watching the video, it, it's weird. <laughs> I'm trying not to distract you, John. I'm, just, I'm trying to find the right, the right, the right moment for this, this, this one. Well, you know, I, I know the right one. This, this is here's my Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz deserves deserves uh, this 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 filter because you know. Are you going to become he, a Steve Austin, the six million dollar man? I, I wish I had a. Oh 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 oh! Th- thanks, John. I'm, I've got. I love that intro, by the way. That Let, intro. Let's was talk awesome. about that. I thought it was so brilliant. I mean, he 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 he's he's such an intelligent fighter, and it that showed from that moment. Uh, at you know the second that we started the fight, right? Yeah, it was just this great entrance. It's like the the classic like six million dollar man. Uh, we can rebuild him, and he comes out, and then it goes into like the Cypress Hill tune. Uh, it was an awesome entrance, and it was it was really great. It was the standout entrance of the show. Um, the fight though, uh, we begin, and Henry Cejudo just implemented a game plan of heavy heavy leg kicks uh, throughout the first round, and that was the big difference. We got a little bit of a tease of the of the wrestling, and it seemed that this was something uh, Dominic Cruz was more than ready for uh, from Cejudo. Uh, we saw some sprawling from Cejudo, but it was mainly the leg kicks that were the story of the first round. In the second, more of the leg kicks from Cejudo, but we see Dominic Cruz start to let his hands go, and then, unfortunately, the two crack heads, and Cejudo is cut, and they have to momentarily pause the fight. They re- they restart, and Cejudo 
drills him with this knee and Dominic Cruz goes down. It was a vicious knee and follows up with numerous unanswered strikes and Dominic Cruz, it looks like he's trying to post up, but at this point, referee Keith Peterson steps in and calls it off at 458 of the second round with Henry Cejudo winning by TKO. After the fact, uh, Cruz disagreed with this referee stoppage. He maintained that he was on his way back to his feet. Uh, he took a lot of strikes, Phil. Where, where did you fall on this one? Did you think that uh, Keith Peterson jumped the gun or did you think that this was a reasonable stoppage? I definitely think it was a reasonable stoppage. As the fight was happening, I was I announced I was like, you know, he's taking the shots, and as he's taking all these shots, I'm like, oh, it's over. I called it over. Now I'm not the referee. I'm calling it. I'm having a good time and mildly intoxicated. But uh, that at the same time, I think yes, it's true that Cruz was go- getting up, but you can't take those shots without protecting your face. And I didn't hear what the instructions were from Keith Peterson and whatever Cruz was telling him about like, oh, you know, I told the ref that you need to let me go or let me die in there or whatever he wants that, to tell him. That is it's not like, the referee's job. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. exactly <laughs> the opposite of what he is meant to exactly, do. Exactly. Exactly. So so I, I, I think Cruz has a point, but I did not think it was a bad stoppage. Um, and uh it was it was a great knee that landed and, and I mean Cejudo was fighting a great fight up to that point and and Cruz was fighting well too. It was it was they're on their way to having like a really like competitive fight. It was like this was a very close round up until the the heads clashing. Yeah, even in the first round, Cejudo definitely took uh, the lead, but. Uh, Cruz made adjustments in the round and then had his moments and then coming out in the in the second uh again Cejudo did things well and then Cruz adjusted and started to do things well before that knee you know completely uh terminated the fight but uh it was fun and and Cruz it, amazing to come back after that long layoff to to look competitive in, in the highest level of competition and well I mean I'm sure you're going to get to the post fight interview from the champ Yes, if if I was going to tell you this result of Henry Cejudo retaining the title and I said a retirement followed, I think 98% of people would have said, well, that's it for Dominic Cruz. Cruz was noncommittal about what would be next for him. Henry Cejudo, though, announced, I'm retiring. I'm leaving. Uh, he's done. And Dana White just had the look of just disgust in the background. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, your believability that Henry Cejudo has had his last fight. Ooh, okay, that's um, I'm mm. Okay, last UFC fight. Mm, I I would put those at the same same number, same number. So the believability, I'd say 5. Like it it, it it's all depends on the the opportunity. It's the opponent, right? Like at this point it doesn't really do him any good to defend against Peter Yan. Like Peter Yan is an amazing fighter and, and could be champion, but he, he's not a notable person in, like that's going to draw eyeballs. So if I'm Henry Cejudo, retire as a king, one of the greatest exits in MMA history, and if somewhere down the line a contender emerges who's able to make a name for themselves and lure Triple C away from the Bella Twins, then so be it. Yeah, I 
I don't know. Like this is obviously um you know, he he's been very vocal. He he wants to be paid more and I think this is a tactic and I I have next to I would say my my expectation that he will fight again is I, I would say on a scale of one to ten like a nine. So okay, I I really don't believe that the I, I don't know how many people really took this one seriously. Um, I think I, I'm I'm taking it a little bit well, seriously. It, possible, possible. I, I, I just in the sense of him like in terms of athletic accomplishments, what's there left? In the sport, he he became a multi-time champion, Olympic gold medalist. He beat the best bantamweight ever. He beat the best flyweight ever. He so who who is there to fight? So it's like I I agree. If it's all about the money, then yeah, he'll come back, no problem. But if he's got if his mind is about greatness, that's beyond this. Which maybe maybe he wants to go be great at something else. I believe he could be right. What would that be? Boxing? I don't know. Well, whatever his mind, I don't know. Maybe he, he talked about his family. Maybe he just, I don't know, like anything. Maybe he wants to be good in business. Maybe he wants to, uh, he'd be great in pro wrestling maybe. I, I mean, I know he's a smaller guy, but I, I, I'm just saying he uh, clearly he has the type of personality. You know, we were talking about the last dance, a portrait and greatness. When we get the, the last cringe, that will be a portrait in <laughs> greatness too. Well, we will see. I uh, I will go so far. I, I believe this man will fight this year. That that's okay. My okay, but look, I'm, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. I, I'm not I'm not trying to tell you that it's like oh, it's so sincere. But like, it's a it's a great way to go out. It's it's the best way to go out. Okay. The highlight though was throughout the night they're they're showing like tweets in the lower left hand yes. part of the screen. And as Henry Cejudo is walking to the back, he poses into the camera right as they put up Anthony Smith's tweet. <laughs> Why don't I believe Henry? <laughs> right as he's <laughs> posing. And it was just classic. I laughed out loud. It was That's awesome. Really, I didn't miss that one. That's it was funny. very good. Uh Francis Ngannou versus Jarzinho Rosenstruck. And I thought this one could go one of two ways. Uh the way in which it did or this would be two guys in complete respect of the other's power, and we would get a standoff. Uh, there was no respect of that. Francis Ngannou just sized up this dude and then just ran at this man like a wild man. He just threw with absolute zero caution, uh, was missing. Like, he wasn't even connecting with this guy, but then a left hand drilled him, and Rosenstruck was struck down. And he was gone in 20 seconds. Uh, Francis Ngannou knocks him out a as impressive as you're going to get. But I, I would go one step further, though, Phil. Was there anything we learned more about Francis Ngannou in this fight um, that would give you confidence in him in a championship situation? Because I think that's the ultimate question is him in a longer fight and dealing with an opponent that can uh, pressure him. I don't think anyone has any question about the man's power, but this was super impressive. No, it doesn't give me any insight into him in a, a different fight or even in a rematch with Stipe or uh, potentially a match with Daniel Cormier, which mm, kind of seems more likely at this point. Um, it doesn't give me any insight into that, but, but it makes me want to see it. So uh, let's uh, tee it up. Do you think he just waits now? Who? Uh, uh, and gone. Like, there, there's no other let, fight but fighting for the title. It's just a question of how long will you have to uh, wait for that to happen. 
if it, I think if you had asked me, it's 80% likely that Nganu is in the next UFC title match. You think that Stipe and Cormier doesn't happen next? I do, yes. Well, possible. In these, since that Derek Lewis fight, Nganu has gone 4 0, where his fights have gone 45 seconds, 26 seconds, a minute 11, was clearly off that night, and 20 seconds tonight. <laughs> Uh, 20 it was not 20 seconds hold on hold on it was you can th- th- go people need to review that it was maximum a 17 second knockout so whoever's doing the official time at uh at uh, whatever fight metric or wherever you're drawing those from you know well someone can go back and audit that particular fight <laughs> Uh, something that wasn't audited was uh, Jeremy Stevens' weight cut because he came in four and a half pounds over. C- terribly missed the mark uh, for his fight with uh, Calvin Cater and was fined 30% of his purse, which on this particular fight card, that one stings badly. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, – I mean this isn't the first time that uh, Jeremy Stevens uh, has missed weight, although he's been pretty good lately. Uh, one thing to note, we talked about it on the preview show. This was the only missed weight fighter yep. and there didn't – and there really didn't appear to be any clear evidence of any performance degradation from any of the fighters regarding a lack of – you know, maybe maybe Fabricio Verdum, but he's somebody who had a long layoff, so it's a it's 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 not so obvious that we can say. So in terms of the quality of the competition, it was just as high as any other UFC event. Uh, Jeremy Stevens and uh, Calvin Cater. Um, first round, I gave to Jeremy Stevens here. It was it was a fairly close round, and then in the second, um, Calvin Cater is working on the lead leg of Jeremy Stevens, and then really got to showcase his boxing here. He had this great combination, and then just built on that. And Cater drops him with a hard right and finishes him with ground and pound. And they show the replay of this. He drops him with a right elbow, but then he gets on top and he lands this left elbow. And it's the elbow on the ground that slices Jeremy Stevens open. And all of a sudden, um, Niagara Falls made its debut in Jacksonville, Florida, because it was a faucet coming out of Jeremy Stevens' forehead. He was just pouring blood on this canvas. Yeah, it was it was pretty gnarly. It, it kind of came out of nowhere because he took a big shot and you didn't really – it didn't look like a type of shot that would cut you open. And then all of a sudden blood was everywhere and then you saw in the replay. Uh, you know, Cater – Jeremy Stevens was fighting very well. Cater was having a little bit of a tough time in that first round figuring him out and he was sort of doing what he did in the Zabit fight. He was starting slow but – you know, he was able to really pinpoint it in the uh, second round and uh, get the finish against a very durable fighter. Yeah, so Cater was coming off that loss to uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov. So this win, I think, gets him back into that, you know, prime featherweight uh, rankings. Um, you know, not not a guy that's going to be knocking on the door of a title fight, but nonetheless, um, a good win for him to defeat Jeremy Stevens and get back in, in that contention. Greg Hardy, Jorgen DeCastro. This one ended up going three rounds. Uh, Jorgen DeCastro just uh, came out and what a great one round that Jorgen DeCastro had to showcase here. Uh, Just kicking Greg Hardy away uh, and landing several big shots. Um, 
Then in the second round, Hardy really turned it around, mainly because DeCastro turned it off here. He checked a leg kick and started favoring his foot, and it just seemed like he shut down at this point. It wasn't like Greg Hardy um, – like he did the bare minimum to win this second and third round, but it was the bare minimum was way, way more than the non-existent output that DeCastro had in the second and third round. And then somehow all three judges scored this 30-27 for Greg Hardy. How they scored that first round for Greg Hardy, I don't have an answer, but um, the right guy won here because I had Hardy winning two and three easily. Yeah. Um, Hardy's clearly improved. We've seen that over his last few fights. Uh, it was a it was a seasoned opponent. Like it wasn't the best opponent for sure, but it's it's not the worst quality opponent. Um, Six and zero fighter. Yeah, yeah. Like Greg Hardy is definitely making improvements. He's a huge specimen. The fact that he cuts, um, he he's not afraid to get hit. He he will fire. He's strategic. I mean, I, he's not the most exciting fighter, and certainly all the baggage doesn't make me want to see him, but. It was a win. He's improving. He's a very impressive athlete from that regard. And so I expect them to give him more notable fighters. Maybe eventually we will get that uh, Mark Hunt versus Greg Hardy fight that uh, people have been uh, clamoring for. Or not Mark Hunt. um, um, uh, Oh, my. Derek Lewis. I don't even know why I said Mark Hunt. Derek Lewis versus Greg Hardy. Well, Greg Hardy improves to uh, six and two with a no contest here after that Alexander Volkov loss he had uh, in his last outing. Uh, so that was the the pay per view card. We move over to the uh, the prelims, and the big fight was Donald Cerrone Anthony Pettis, a rematch from January of 2013, where Pettis finished him in the first round. Uh, both men in very different. Um, Stages of their careers now, uh, some seven years later. Cerrone coming off the loss to uh, Conor McGregor in his last outing and had lost his last three heading into this one. Anthony Pettis returning to welterweight in this fight uh, after losses to Nate Diaz and Carlos Diego uh, Fajera. And in the first round, um, I thought this was overall a very close fight. I thought they split the first two. And in the third round, um, this came down... It looked like Anthony Pettis landed this big shot on Cerrone, and Cerrone started complaining that he got poked in the eyes. But the referee, uh, Keith Peterson, said it was clean. So Pettis just continues, and you're giving him credit for what appeared to be a clean strike. And then Cerrone uh, really turned it on in the final couple of minutes. He landed this huge head kick that somehow Anthony Pettis absorbed. And when you saw the replay... It really looked like it was, in fact, an eye poke from Anthony Pettis. Like, the fingers were extended and went right near the eyes. Um, so, I mean, if you view that as a eye poke, then you can't really give Anthony Pettis credit for the the flurry, which I thought was his most impressive one of round three. But um, I went 29-28 Donald Cerrone in this fight, but uh, the judges had it 29-28 for Anthony Pettis, and I can't really disagree that heavily because I thought it was a very close fight. Yeah, I had it the same way, 29-28. It was a, I, I just felt that Pettis landed more with power, and he was a little bit more fluid with his striking and able to move around the octagon. Cerrone didn't fight poorly. He was dialed in from the start, which was nice to see. He didn't need some crazy warm-up. Um, but the fight kind of lacked a little bit of the excitement we usually see from these fighters and perhaps it's unfair to expect them 
uh, to always be uh, the show ponies. Um, but it kind of felt like a sparring match. Yeah, I thought the third round was pretty entertaining. The first two, I would say, yeah, it was kind of just this, you know, two guys who clearly really respect one another. And I wouldn't say it was fireworks for for those two rounds. But the third was a pretty entertaining round. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought Donald Cerrone, this was the kind of fight that if if he was going to lose, this was certainly a performance that you weren't looking at it like this is a guy that is completely done or anything like that. I thought he fought Anthony Pettis really competitively. And, and I mean, I, I scored the fight for him. So I thought that in, in that sense, Donald Cerrone, I think you can at least look at that he, you know, does have mileage left in him, not that he was going to be slowing down anyway, regardless of whatever happened here. Yeah, I mean, they're both kind of now in, like, the exact same spot they were before, sort of. Like, it's not like they've really moved at all based on these performances. At least Cowboys, like, you know, phew, Cowboys not washed up. You know, I guess that's... He's a guy you could still headline a fight night card with, I I see, or or be, you know, somewhere on a pay-per-view main card. Like, that is his level. Yes. But, yeah, yeah, I I don't know how much longer that will be, but I I think he gets, uh, you know, I I would say if he got blown out in this fight, I wouldn't even say, like, he would necessarily be headline material on a fight night. I, I just think that he needed to at least come out and look better than the Conor McGregor performance, and he certainly did here. John, how can you not do that? Like, (laughs) well, I'm saying if he got if he just got blown out here, that like that would have been the uh, certainly the referendum. I think on Donald Cerrone at that point. Um, Did you do you have to catch a shower anytime soon? No, I just got out of the shower. In case you didn't notice. Wow, just in my debate about Donald Cerrone, (laughs) that that was incredibly quick. Alexei Olenek against Fabricio Verdum, a battle of 42 year old men. Uh, We had. Olenek coming out here, uh, he looked in great shape. Fabricio Verdum looked like a guy that um, has not been training much over this uh, this uh, COVID-19 period. Maybe That's he hasn't I, been training much over the long, long suspension. He's been off of – he's been off for two years, right? Yeah. I mean he still had some moments in this fight, but they this was certainly a far cry from the Fabricio Verdum that I, I think would have um, – handled Alexei Olenek at certain points here um, in prior years. Uh, Olenek just Particularly at- when he had some, I mean, uh, you know, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. like there was some clear points where Verdum was able to get some advantage grappling positions and Olenek was able to fight out of them. And um, there were opportunities for Verdum to finish this fight. Yeah. Olenek just teed him up in the first round and it was just unloading on Verdum. Uh, a solid round for Olenek. Uh, continued in the second where uh, Verdum did tr- try with some knees from the tie clinch, but um, Verdum got the takedown and Olenek uh, was able to, after losing his back and Verdum having the hooks in, uh, Olenek was able to get out of that, like a pretty threatening position from a guy the level of Fabricio Verdum on the ground. But um, I had Olenek up both rounds. And then in the third, um, this is where Verdum at least got to shine a little bit. He threatened with a Kimura, couldn't finish it, and mounted mounted Olenek. And Olenek survived the round, but took some punches. And I gave this round to Verdum. But overall, I had I had this actually 29-27 for Olenek. I thought the first round was a 10-8, but the judges had it. Uh, 29-28 twice for Olenek, and one had it 29-28 for Fabrizio Verdum. So we, we had some 
wild cards uh, on this undercard. But Alexei Olenek gets the victory. And Fabricio Verdum, uh, this was not, not a great return after two years away. Yeah. Um, yeah, not a good showing. Olenek looked uh, a lot leaner, had gas, although it looked like he was fading at one point, but he got a second wind and pretty impressive on his part, uh, showing a little bit more than just the incredible submissions that he has in the past. Carlos Barza defeated Michelle Watterson by split decision. This was one of those fun uh, 30-27s on both sides where we had one judge scored it 30-27 for Esparza, one 30-27 for Watterson, and Esparza got the nod with the 29-28 card. Uh, I had this 29-28 for Carlos Esparza. Um, was I wrong, Phil? Did uh, Michelle Watterson win every round? Uh, I don't know about you being wrong. A lot of people – this was actually uh... – pretty contentious fight in the in the chat a lot of people Ooh. had it for carla esparza i was seeing it for um michelle watterson and uh, so people were every were, round were, um I, I, again you know you're I, I won't put you on to go back to the free. round by round it, it's a little bit tough but I, I i think i think the first round was i definitely had michelle watterson Okay. And then I think the second round was Watterson, and then the third round I gave to Esparza. All right. If if, if does that mean does that? Yep. No, seem- no. That uh, I had I had Esparza winning one and three, and Watterson two. So you and I would have agreed on uh, round two at least. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Can, can, I don't know what else to say. Look, I, I, it was I'll it was a this. fight. It was like I'll, this I'll, was I'll not a spectacular this. fight. Michelle Watterson, I, I thought she fought well and deserved the win, and she fought – or she didn't get the win, but uh, it was close enough that it wasn't egregious. And uh, – but Carla Sparza is just not a terribly exciting fighter. Like, has she ever been in an exciting fight that she hasn't just been demolished in? I mean, she's had really dominant fights with her wrestling, but, I mean, in terms of, like, super entertaining, I mean, not everyone's going to be super entertained by – um, dominant wrestling. I mean, look, Habib is is the, is the second most popular fighter in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you say, Carlos Barza? It's uh, <laughs> by stalking Carlos Barza. Uh, these <laughs> Vicente Luque and Nico Price. Um, you know, right after the Justin Gaethje fight, you hear Dana White tell Justin Gaethje off mic, "That was fight of the night for sure." And I was like. Was that fight of the night for sure or was that like performance of the night for sure for Justin Gaethje? Because my fight of the night was Vicente Luque and Nico Price because I weigh fight of the night as like really competitive where there's moments of great from both sides. Whereas Gaethje, like I'm going to remember that fight because of Justin Gaethje. This was not some toe-to-toe war. It was just a one-sided beating that I can appreciate because Justin Gaethje looked fantastic. But to me, my vote for fight of the night would be this one. Uh, yes, I would agree. I would actually make fight of the night Cruz versus Sehudo, uh, But that's like a personal bias. I just love the, the tactical nature and it was highly competitive right up until the end. But yeah, this is, this is obviously traditionally a great candidate for that fight of the night moniker. Um, and it, especially for these Two particular fighters, Vincente Luque, uh, you know, a, a big win, rebound win, a more disciplined fight since his last one. I really liked his post-fight interview, uh, really, uh, 
you, you can tell there was a lot of intelligence behind his uh, game plan. Uh, and I wouldn't read too much into what Dana says immediately after a fight. You know, they can swap around those bonuses. No, they, they gave it to Ferguson and Gaethje. Ferguson and oh, Gaethje. Ferguson and Gaethje <laughs> got fight of the night, and Gaethje also got performance of the night with Francis right. Ngannou. Well, so. you know what, John? Because I was wrong that, about that, I was wrong about everything else I've said throughout the rest of the evening. No, never, Phil. Uh, <laughs> hey, Justin Gaethje absolutely earned his hundred grand in bonuses tonight, but uh, I, I do feel for Nico Price and Vicente Luque. Um, I had them splitting the first two rounds, and then in the third, uh, we had Luke just piling up strikes here. Um, Price nailed him with an uppercut and then a right over the top, and then Luke dropped him with this left hook and got on top with a hammer fist and allowed him up, and they're checking on Nico Price's eye, which his right eye, um, if you're watching Phil right now, that's kind of how it looked. Um, <laughs> this thing was completely shut. And the referee waved it off, uh, Jason Herzog, and Vicente Luque was the winner by doctor stoppage at 337 of round three. Uh, this was a hell of a fight if you're going back and uh, re-watching or, or looking at any of the, car- the fights on the undercard. These two both just, um, yeah, just a tremendous fight. Definitely, uh, you know, this is right up Nico Price's alley. And, I mean, Vicente Luque is traditionally an extremely exciting fighter as well. A lot of people had this pegged as a sleeper uh, fight of the night. Eric Marcotte was looking forward to it, and uh, he was certainly satisfied with how it turned out. And then quickly, the last two fights, I think this is a fight you and I can both bond over. Bryce Mitchell and Charles Rosa. Bryce Mitchell putting on a goddamn clinic for three rounds. Um, just a, This guy won with a twister back in December. He Nearly got it again in the opening round here uh, against Rosa, who is a black belt, okay? That made this even more impressive. Bryce Mitchell, uh, I don't know what his training was like during this whole period uh, with the virus and everything, but he showed absolutely zero ill effects conditioning-wise because he put out 15 incredible minutes of pacing, just going from one submission to another. He threatened with a dozen arm triangles. He tried for the, tr- the twister several. He was able to mount Rosa. He dominated him for 15 minutes. I thought every round was a 10-8. I scored this one 30-24, and I was definitely not the only one who had this 30-24. One of the judges went so far as to go 30-24. This was uh, an unbelievable performance by Bryce Mitchell, another guy that I thought was bonus worthy. Uh, yeah, it was it was really great. I didn't quite have it that way. I had it uh, 30-25 with the third round being the last, the only one I gave as a 10-9, but who knows? I could be wrong on that. Yeah, it was incredibly performance, all the twister attempts. Uh, Roga was tough. He, he he knew how to defend these things, um, but it was, it was jujitsu all day. And really, you could understand why the cardio wasn't a factor or wouldn't even be a factor because he was – just controlling him so much. He was just doing what he does all the time. He was just doing jujitsu, just floating on top of him. Like there was so many position changes. He never gave up top position. It was really impressive. And he didn't get though that twister. Uh, but, uh, it, it was really exciting to see him, uh, go after it. He went after all sorts of, uh, submissions throughout it. Um, and yeah, super, super, uh, impressive performance by him. If I if I was still doing jujitsu, my 
my goal would be this guy. This guy and you, Phil. Those would be my, my people to emulate myself. No, no, after. no, but no, 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 no. That, that would be a mistake. I would be the first person to tell you that any type of emulation of me, particularly when it comes to jujitsu, there's much better people to uh, model after. And this guy has been hounding UFC and Reebok to get him these camo shorts. And after this performance, apparently it's legit. They're going to get him his camo shorts now. That's what this good. performance got him. So good for him. Yeah. Uh, and our last fight to chat about, uh, Ryan Spann defeating Smiling Sam Alvey by split decision. This was Alvey's fourth loss in a row. Um, Spann won the first two rounds. Alvey came alive in, in the third round where, I mean, he was doing really well with like his, his short right uppercut and a lot of like, Alvey's got a very awkward style where he could, especially with a southpaw uh, stance, that he could, you know, sneak in a lot of strikes on on Ryan Span uh, and stunned him with this right hook at the end and went for a choke. Um, but wins the third round, not the fight. Uh, Ryan Span gets the split decision victory, and that was our opening fight to kick things off. Yeah, um, it was um, the warm up was- fight. Yeah, it was it was it was fine, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I like there. It was it was fine. Is, is there is there something that I should add, John? No, it's been a long night. It's two twenty two. <laughs> Phil, you have been the Iron Man tonight, so I want to thank you for all your great contributions. Actually, uh, I gotta I gotta say, Eric was more of an Iron Man because. I got up and took breaks, went to get beers. I don't think I saw him leave his seat at one at a single point throughout the night. So, uh, so big props to Eric for hanging in there throughout the evening with the with the fun analysis. Uh, well, Eric will have a report up Wednesday night on the site following the UFC's next card, uh, which is uh, coming up in Jacksonville. We've got Anthony Smith, Glover Teixeira, Ben Rothwell, Ben Rothwell versus Open St. Prue. Uh, Drew Dober, Alexander Hernandez, Ricky Simone, Ray Borg. And uh, on the undercard, Andre Orlovsky is fighting uh, Philippe Linz. And Michael Johnson, the last man before Justin Gaethje to beat Tony Ferguson, is fighting uh, Tiago uh, Moisesh, I believe is how you pronounce it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the UFC is back sort of whatever this means we'll we'll see if, if like let, let's hope for good news that you know they are able to put on these events in a safe manner that it, it is is you know fun and but most importantly safe and responsible and uh and that and that that and hopefully that's a sign of good news and, and that's a sign that you know we're moving towards uh you know, we're in a tunnel, there's light, the light is getting bigger. And hopefully this is a marker of that. Mr. Analogy himself, Phil Chair Talk, he joins me every month for our UFC post shows. I guess we'll be back at some point because we're still waiting for a date, a location and a finalized fight card for UFC 250. But whenever that card happens, uh, I I hope that we are lucky enough to have Phil's presence uh, with us to run through all of the action. I, 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 I don't plan on going anywhere, John. So, yes, you, you will have me. All right. It's been a late night. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Uh, Way and I will be back on Sunday night because we've got a WWE pay-per-view, Money in the Bank, uh, which I don't know if Phil's going to be watching or not. Um, this is going to feature um, 
12 people starting at the ground floor of WWE headquarters, and they have to make their way up to the roof where they have to climb ladders to secure a briefcase for a future title shot, Phil. So, okay, so it, I, I'm then assuming that this is going to be a pre-recorded segment. Yes. So, well, hey, look, they had a lot of success. Um, well, you tell me if they had a lot of success with their segments at WrestleMania. My perspective was they were successful for me as a non-typical uh, wrestling fan. Yeah, I, mo- I most seem to them. love them. Most look that, that those were like the big highlights of WrestleMania this year. Yeah, and, and as we talked about, you know, uh, empty arena is a far more detrimental to pro wrestling than it is to MMA. I think we can the experiment indicates mm-hmm. and so and so um yeah the, the WWF uh, needs to come up with uh, n- new methods to tell their stories and um i i probably will not be watching john but uh i i do hope it's a fun event i enjoyed wrestlemania and uh, hopefully everybody else enjoys uh, this one like so yeah a total pro giving us all that analysis and then saying, but I won't be watching. Uh, well, so hey, man, hey, I'm not a, re- I'm not a wrestling uh, guy. We, we don't expect you. I, I, just, I, just, I appreciate I just, you humoring everybody to at least like talk about it before. You could have just said out of hand, no, I'm not going to watch it. You gave us a you gave us a real quality response there. So okay. I, I thank you. So Wayne and I will be live right after Money in the Bank. Uh, we'll be going live for all of our double-double ice cap and espresso members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. So if you want to uh, tune in live, you can do so if you're at the – level and call in as well with your feedback so uh for phil i'm john thank you for listening to our ufc 249 post show bye everybody